The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Okay, well, let's get started. Um, this talk is Femininity and the Heart of God, so hopefully that's the talk you wanted to come to. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming to this talk, and uh, I especially want to thank the guys for coming to this talk. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And uh, I, I gave a talk very similar to this at our summer training project this past summer. And I actually had a lot of guys tell me that it was one of the most helpful talks they had heard this summer. So hopefully this talk will feel really helpful to you as a woman in better understanding yourself. And also for men, that it would help you better understand your sisters in Christ. So I'm going to pray really quick, and then we'll dive in. So Heavenly Father, thank you that in your wisdom, you created two genders. And you made them different from each other, and then you called them to live in relationship with each other. And that is a mysterious and exciting and confusing and painful thing. And yet when we, when we, when we do it, when we do it well, we get to see more of you and experience more of what you have done. And so, God, I pray that this talk would be helpful. I pray that if there's anything I say that... Um, would would be hurtful that would feel wrong that you would um yeah that you would help there to be a good conversation around that and i pray that everyone would walk out of this room with a deeper understanding of what it means to be a woman how you've created women and what we uniquely say about your character so i ask all these things in your son's name amen so my name is emma button i am on staff in minneapolis at the university of northwestern um this is my family. So I feel like usually like staff people, when they start giving a talk, they tell some cute anecdote about their kids. But I am not married and do not have children. So these are my siblings. <laughs> um, I'm missing one of them. So I'm the oldest of seven. And yeah, we went to a tree lighting ceremony up north a couple weeks ago. This is our family Christmas card photo. So there you go. Um, actually, at the end of this video, or at the end of this presentation, I'm going to show a video of my two youngest sisters. You can see them in the corner. So Sadie, you might have... People think she's a boy all the time because she's like a huge tomboy. She's in the red jacket, and then Lizzie is right next to her. And I'm really excited for you guys to get to see this video of them because it's pretty cute. So um, gender can often be a kind of confusing and maybe sometimes even a painful topic to discuss. And I know that in a room this size, there's probably a really wide spectrum of where you're coming in. We've all had different experiences with our gender, we've all had, we all come from really different backgrounds where we've all probably heard and been taught really different things about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. So for me, I grew up in a Christian conservative home in Minnesota, and for me, growing up, gender was usually defined in terms of roles, so what men can and can't do, and then what women can and can't do. But as I've gotten older, and as I've interacted with more and more men and women, I actually don't think that that's the most helpful way to talk about men and women, because what I found is that for so many for so many ways, in so many ways, our roles actually that's way more been way more informed by our culture than it is by actually the Bible and what the Bible says. And what I think is a much more helpful way to talk about men and women is what's the purpose? What's like the essence of what it means to be a man or a woman? And so. This talk is not going to be the most practical. I don't really have like four practicals at the end of this um, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you better understand what is kind of at the essence or the heart of femininity. Um, 
And because I believe that that is actually a much more freeing and flourishing way to live as a woman because it means that there's a ton of different ways that you get to express yourself. And I think that's sometimes why gender talks can be hurtful because you can feel like there's this one mold and that's what it means to be a godly woman or there's one mold for what it means to be a godly man. And then if you don't fit into that mold, it can feel super confusing. Like, am I doing something wrong? Um, And so what I really wanted to do is I didn't want to define a mold. I more wanted to define what is the essence because I think that there's a bazillion different ways that it can look to be a godly man or a godly woman. So I believe that femininity says something unique about God. And so I think it's really important how we define it. And I have a quote from Larry Crabb. I think that's my next slide. So Larry Crabb wrote a book called Fully Alive. And that's where a lot of the content for this talk came from. And he has a quote that I really love. He says, womanhood must never be defined in a frivolous way that makes it necessarily unfeminine to be fully competent and highly respected as a physician, corporate executive, or biblical scholar. Nor should femininity be somehow essentially connected to cooking, sensual clothing, or a sweet, subservient demeanor. Womanhood, like manhood, has more to do with a woman's attitude towards herself and others as she involves herself in relationships. And I love that quote because essentially what he's saying is it's super unhelpful if we define womanhood in terms of what she can and can't do. It's much more helpful if if we have a definition for woman (laughs) that has to do with the way that she relates to other people. So that's what I'm going to try to do in this talk. And I meant to say this at the beginning, but don't worry about trying to capture every quote, every note. This can be like a lot to write down. So at the end of this talk, um, I have my email on a slide. So if you want to get these slides from me, if you want to get my notes, you can send me an email and I'll send this all to you. So don't worry about capturing everything. So my outline for this talk is I'm going to have four points. So the first one will be what is God's purpose for femininity? The second point will be what was the unique curse that was given um, to women? The third point will be how does God redeem femininity? And then the fourth point will be how does God restore it? And just to kind of give you a warning, (laughs) when we get into the curse, it is going to get a little bit dark. And that's because being a woman is really hard, (laughs) and I want to talk about it. And being a man is also very hard. Um, So it is going to get a little bit dark, but then it's going to get better again. So just buckle up, stay with me, and it's going to be good. So let's start with God's purpose for femininity. Um, And I have two points on this. So the first one is, what's the purpose? And then the second point is, um, what's the core desire of women? So to start off, why did did God even create gender? So in Genesis 127, that's the creation account, it says, so God created man in his own image. And the word man there means, it's referring to humankind. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So just some really basic observations. God created both men and women in his image. So both man and woman display God's image. And that feels really basic, but it feels really, really important (laughs) to clarify that both men and women equally image who God is to the world. And God gave both men and women dominion over the earth. So he's made them both in his image, and then he's made them both to rule the world. And this is another observation. God intentionally decided to make two genders. God could have chosen to express himself to the world in any variety of ways. He wasn't limited to this. But he intentionally chose two distinct ways to reveal himself to the world. And I think that why he did that is because he wanted to say something unique about who he is, specifically through the ways that men and women are different from each other and the ways that we relate to each other. 
And I just want to give a pl quick plug. This talk is really designed to go hand in hand with a talk on masculinity that as staff guy Zach Simmons is going to give on Tuesday. So if you want to hear the flip side to this, what does masculinity uniquely say about God, I would highly, highly encourage you to go to the masculinity talk. So in Genesis 2.18, we get the creation account of women. And this is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So a couple of observations from the creation account of women. There is a break in the pattern of what God's been doing. So if you read through the whole creation account, there's this pattern where God creates something and then he calls it good. So he creates the heavens and the earth. He calls it good. He creates the seas. He calls them good. He creates the animals, calls them good. But here God breaks the pattern. So he creates man and then he says, wait, 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 this is not good. And then he creates woman. And one thing that's really cool is that this actually happens pre-fall. So it was not good for there to only be one gender pre-fall. So before sin had entered the world, when, when God and man were still in re perfect relationship with each other, it was not good for there to be only one representation of God. And so God provides the solution. He creates Eve. And he says, I will make a helper fit for him. And the word helper is the Hebrew word, Hebrew word, ezer. And what that literally means is a strong advocate. And when I, I've kind of rubbed up against this verse because in modern 21st century, when we hear the word helper, at least for me, what comes to my mind is like uh, almost like an image of Cinderella, like on her knees scrubbing the kitchen floor. But this word cannot mean subservient or weak because it's actually used to describe God in various places throughout the Old Testament. So an example of that is in Deuteronomy 33, 21, 29. It says, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, so that's where the word Ezer is, and the sword of your triumph. And so what God is not saying is let me create a servant for Adam. What he's saying is I, I want to create a strong advocate, someone to, to rule this world with him, and that's why he creates Eve. So another observation is that Adam and Eve are created and named differently. So Adam is created from the dirt, and his name is na he's named in relation to the dirt. But Eve is created from Adam and then is named in relationship to Adam. So what does this mean? It feels significant. So what could account for how and why Eve was made differently? Unfortunately, the Bible does not give us an explanation. So I am inferring a lot from this. Um, but I think that God's intended purpose for men has to do with meaningful work. And Zach is going to flesh that out a lot more in his masculinity talk. And I think that God's intended purpose for women is about meaningful relationships. And those two things aren't exclusive. So God has also made women for meaningful work. And God has also made men for meaningful relationships. 
But I think that primarily men are made for meaningful work and primarily women are made for meaningful relationships. And my definition, and I'm inferring this from three things, the unique curse that is given to women, and we'll get into that later, then also the unique exhortations that are given to men and women in the New Testament, and also just from my own personal experience, um, what I have lived has confirmed this. So I have uh, a definition for what I think God's intended purpose for femininity is. And I'll read it slowly so that you can have a chance to take it in. God's intended purpose for femininity is that it would be relational in nature, inviting others to see and delight in beauty in herself, the world, and ultimately in God. So there's three really kind of key characteristics to that definition. The first one is that it's relational. The second is that it's invitational. And the third is that it's beautiful. And I think all three of those characteristics make up, I think, the essence of femininity. And again, I just want to clarify that this is not explicitly in the Bible. So if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't know, that is totally fine. I'm inferring this from different authors that I've read, different stud Bible studies that I've read, and my own personal experience. And so if, if you don't agree with that, that is totally fine. But ultimately, I think that femininity reveals a God who is relational in his nature. Femininity shows us a God who invites us in to see and delight in him and the world that he has made. So if femininity says something unique about God, what I think it says is that God invites us into relationship with him, and that relationship is something that is really beautiful and good. So I have another quote from Larry Crabb, and this is what he says. Invitational power is alive in the soul of every woman who knows Jesus. She has a power to reveal the relational nature of God in a way that no man can reveal as clearly. So if God has created women with this purpose, then my second point is that this means that every woman has a core desire that God has given her. And Again, it's, it's hard to, like, try to capture this because it feels like it's so mysteriously and deeply embedded into our hearts. But this is my attempt. I think that the core desire of a woman is to be delighted in as beautiful by those that she has invited to know her. And again, you can totally disagree with this statement. But I do think that the more I've thought about it, the more I've talked to women, the more I've interacted with women, the more I actually feel convinced that this is true. So if God created women to be primarily relational, and if the core desire of a woman is that she would enter into relationship with the people around her, and that the people around her would find her worthy of that relationship, um, what happened at the fall? So this is my second point, and this is God's curse on femininity. And this is where things get dark. So if you're unfamiliar with the story, Adam and Eve sin, they disobey God's commandment, and God curses each one of them. He curses the serpent who tempted them, he curses Adam, and he curses Eve. So in Genesis 3.16, this is the curse that he gives to Eve. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So God curses men at their most glorious point. He curses their work and says your work is going to be meaningless. 
and God curses femininity at its most glorious point, its relationships. And it's threefold. There's three ways that he's cursing women. So the first one is that there's pain and childbearing. And I think more broadly, you could say it's going to hurt women to bring forth life. The second curse that he gives is that there's going to be this desire for relationship that is unfulfilled. So you can see that when he says your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So again, more broadly, you could say it's going to hurt to be in relationship with other people. So God has created women to be in relationship, but that's actually going to be really painful. And the last curse that he gives is that women will be ruled over by another. And so, more, again, more broadly, it's going to hurt to submit. There's going to be a sense in which there's a power dynamic, a power struggle now between men and women. And, it, and it's going to hurt women to submit. So God's intended curse for women is relational disappointment. Leaving women feeling unseen and unwanted. So if you remember, the purpose, God's intended purpose for women is that we would invite others into relationship with us in a way that would show the world what God is like. But because of the curse, women will now experience disappointment in their relationships. Your relationships are not going to fulfill you, and that is going to leave you feeling unseen and unwanted. And I think if I were to poll women in this room, my guess is that each one of us would say, this is our daily reality. And I'm seeing nods as I look around. So this is the effect of the curse that each one of us feels every day. Um, so the effect, so Zach will get into this in his talk, but I think the question that men are asking is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do meaningful work? The question that women are asking is, am I wanted? Am I someone that's worth being in relationship with? So we're designed, we're created by God to invite people into relationship with us. But because of the curse, we're not able to confidently invite people into relationship with us because we're no longer sure that there's anything about us that's worth people seeing. If I had to guess, I don't think that any woman in this room woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and was like, I love everything that I see right now. My guess is that if you're like me, you've probably looked in the mirror multiple times today, and each time there's been something about your appearance, your presence, that you really don't like. And it is especially hard when you're in a setting like this, you're around other men and women all the time, and you're constantly realizing the ways that you are not as beautiful, or you are not as funny, or you are not as outgoing, or you're not as articulate, you're not as winsome as the other girls from your campus. We live with this constant sense there's something about us that is not beautiful enough to invite other people in. And I think that this is the daily reality that women live in because of the curse. And this actually really hit home for me. Um, this past summer at our summer training project, uh, Zach, who's giving the masculinity talk, he and I led our project this past summer. And we were preparing to give talks really similar to this. And we were just kind of catching up with each other. And and Zach, we were asking each other how we were doing, and Zach was like, I actually feel really good. Like, project is going super well. Everything that we wanted to do is happening. It's been very successful so far. And he was like, so I actually feel really, really great. And, um, and I, I resonated with that. Like, I also want to do meaningful work. I want the things that I do to be successful and to last. And so I resonated with that. But what I realized is um, 
I was actually being motivated by a much different thing. What I was being motivated by was as I'm leading the project, as, as more and more people are getting to know me, as I'm sharing, as I'm giving talks, as I'm being more vulnerable, I feel this right now actually giving this talk to you guys, the, the thing that's gonna keep me up tonight probably is wondering what did everyone in this room actually think of me? <laughs> and there's a sense in which that's, that's vanity and I need to repent of that, but there's also a sense in which I think that's got how God has made me as a woman. I think that's, that's the heart of femininity the cursed heart of femininity working in me right now is is at the end of the day, I do want my talk to be helpful. I really, really do. But the deeper question that is going on in my heart under that is, but what did you think of me? Like as a person, <laughs> as a woman, what did you think of me? And I think that that is because of the fall. So at every, or at some point, every woman, and maybe you've had this already, maybe you haven't, at some point, every woman is going to wake up and realize the reality that the relationships in her life do not fulfill her in the way that she wants, and that loneliness is a part of her existence on earth. So your core desire has now become your core fear, which is an invitation with no response. And more specifically, you're afraid that you're going to invite and that no one is going to respond because you're too much or you're not enough. And I think that this is the fear that drives women, is a fear that there's something about you that you're either way too much for people in your life to handle or you're not enough. And that if someone really got to know the real you, they'd either be super, super overwhelmed with how messy you are, with how broken you are, or they would be really, really underwhelmed when they realize there's actually not that much to you. So instead of inviting confidently and trusting that people will see us and delight in the beauty, we, we try to invite, but either no one shows up or they show up and they hurt us. And there are legitimate reasons why you feel this way. So um, I have been alive and have enough friends to know that objectification and sexual abuse happen a lot for women. And um, I'm not going to do it here, but at our summer training project when I gave this talk, I asked um, the women in the room, if you had ever been abused, if you had ever been made to feel unsafe, if you had ever been catcalled or objectified, if you'd ever received any attention from a guy that you hadn't asked for, if you could raise your hand. And every single woman in the room had her hand raised. And my guess is that if I did it here right now, it would be the same thing. And the really, really horrible thing about sexual abuse is that what happens is that Satan tells you that you did something to invite it. And there's so much more that I could say on that, and I don't have time to go into it. But, but that, is the, that is how the curse, and that's how Satan twists it, is that we were designed to be invitational. And so then when you receive attention that you did not ask for, that you did not want, what Satan does is he uses shame and tells you, there's something about you. There's something about you that's different, and that's why this abuse happened to you. And I just want to say right here that that is a lie from Satan. That, that shame and condemnation for abuse, for objectification, for catcalling, that is, that is not at all true. That you have a worth and a dignity that men and women are called to, to respond to and to honor and respect and celebrate. And if that hasn't happened to you, I, that is evil. And I'm really, really sorry. So that, that is kind of an aside. There's so much more I wish I could say there. But, um, okay, so th the third thing I have under this is that... Um, there's a way that we cope. We're living now in the fall. We recognize that we're lonely. And I think that there are three ways 
that we try to cope with the pain of loneliness. So the first one is that you could hide. So you never open yourself up to people. Instead, you hide from the world and you never let other people in. So this can mean that you're, you're rarely vulnerable. This could mean that you're really, really quiet. Or it could mean that you're really, really loud. But either way, you never let people in. You never are vul vulnerable. You never share what's hard. You never share the mess. Because you don't want to risk someone seeing you and rejecting you. The second way that we cope is we control or we manipulate. And when I've gone to talks on femininity before, this is, I think, what is tended to be talking talked about, is that um, women control and manipulate. And I think it's more helpful when you understand actually why you do that. And I think what's happening is that um, what happens when you control and when you manipulate is that you don't believe there's anything about you that would just naturally cause someone to move towards you. You don't believe it. And so instead what you do is you force people to move towards you. Because, it, and again, it's coming out of the same core fear that there's nothing in you worth seeing. And so then what you have to do is that you force people to come. And then the last way I think that we cope is that we escape. So we turn to social media, we use Netflix, we go to rom-coms, food, fantasies, masturbation, pornography, or we just shut off our emotions entirely because we don't know how to deal with this deep, deep, deep desire to be in a relationship, to be found beautiful, and, and but we don't have it. And I just want to say, um, some of these things can be really, really hard to talk about as women, um, especially women struggling with masturbation and pornography. That's just something that we don't really talk about very much. And if that is part of your story, I just want you to know you're not alone. Women do struggle with those things. And I would really encourage you to share that. I mean, whatever it is. Like, if you're turning to Netflix to escape, that's also something that you should be talking to other people about. So um, I would, especially on this point, find a woman that you are close with, that you trust, that you came to this conference with, and start talking to her about what are the ways that, that you're using, what are the ways you're hiding, controlling, or escaping. Because these are ways that Satan can really get you to lock, lock you in into shame and in really unhealthy patterns. So I would really encourage you to, to share with some other women how this looks in your life. Okay, so that was the darkest part of the talk. <laughs> Things are going to go up from here. So in Romans 8, verses 19 through 20, this is what he says. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility. So that's where we get this curse. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So my third point is how God redeems femininity. So when God cursed Adam and Eve in the garden, he had actually already planned to send his son to redeem them from the curse. In Genesis 3.15, he tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that line, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, that's the first glimpse that we have of what Jesus is going to come and do. So right away, right at the fall, God was already promising, I'm going to send someone who's going to come and destroy the devil. 
And one thing that's been really, really cool for me as I've explored more this way of thinking about gender is that I've actually seen how Jesus specifically took on the curse on women. And if you go to Zach's talk, you'll get to hear how Jesus specifically takes on the curse given to men. But um, if you'll remember, the, the curse on women is threefold. There's pain in childbirth, there's you're ruled by someone else, and then there's relationship, relational abandonment. So the first point, there's pain in childbirth, pain in bringing forth life. In Isaiah 53, it's the, prophet, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Max actually talked about it this morning. And there's a verse in it. I, it's prophesying the servant who's going to come and suffer really deeply for his people. And in verse 11, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And what this is prophesying is it's prophesying that before Jesus can bring people into new life, before Jesus can adopt us as his sons and daughters, he is going to pass through intense anguish. And it's going to be a physical pain, and it's going to be a, like a soul-level pain. And so there's a way that when Jesus is on the cross, he's actually bearing the curse on women. He's, he's, he's bearing the anguish of bringing people into life. Then the second one, you're going to be ruled by someone else. There's going to be a pain in submitting. So again, at the cross, right before Jesus is about to be betrayed, he's praying in the garden. In Luke 22, it says, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So in the garden, Jesus is asking the Father, don't let me do this. He knows it's going to be painful. He knows it's going to hurt. And so he asks God, don't call me to do this. But then what does he do? He, he submits. And what does it mean that he's going to submit? It's going to mean that he loses his life. And so again, here's a second way that Jesus is bearing the curse that women have borne. And then the last one, and I think that this is the most significant, is that Jesus bears the relational rejection and loneliness that women bear. He was not seen, he was despised, and he was rejected. So I actually want to read a bigger chunk from the prophecy of the suffering servant. And as I read it, I invite you to listen, to not take notes for just a second, and listen to this through the lens of how is Jesus uniquely identifying with the curse given to women. So this is Isaiah 53. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, if you think of the core fear of a woman, the core fear of a woman is that there would be no beauty within you that people would find desirable and that you would be rejected. And Jesus willingly stepped into that experience. 
That is why he came to this earth. He came to this earth to bear the curse that you bear. And here's the craziest part, is that not only did Jesus experience rejection by his fellow men, but he actually experienced the deepest rejection on the cross. So in Mark 15, 34, this is what it says. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is a reality that if you are in Christ right now, you might be rejected by every single person on this world, in this earth, (laughs) but you will never be rejected by God. And the only reason why that's true is because Jesus was rejected by God. Not only was he rejected by the crowds, not only was he rejected by the religious leaders, not only was he rejected by his group of closest friends, but he was rejected by his heavenly father, the one that he had been in an eternal relationship with. And why would he do this? Why would he step in to what is our deepest fear? He did it because he loves you. He did it because he wants to redeem you from the curse. He wants to rescue you from your fear. He wants to rescue you from your core fear and restore you into a relationship with God. Jesus was rejected by God so that you would be forever accepted and loved by God. And I, I'm a pretty visual learner. Like, as I'm, like, thinking about things, I tend to have these images in my mind. And there's something about the word invitational that I always kind of picture, like, someone coming out of their house with their arms open, like just about to embrace you in a hug. And as I was working on this talk, something I had never noticed before is that if you think about Jesus's physical posture on the cross, his arms are nailed open on the cross. And I think that's significant, that if you think about your Savior on the cross, what is happening is that his arms are literally nailed open inviting anyone into a relationship with him. And the only response that he's getting is rejection and mockery from the people walking by and rejection and abandonment from his heavenly father. And the reason why he did it, the reason why he went through all of that is because he wanted to redeem you from the curse. What your core fear tells you is that there's nothing in you that is worthy of being loved. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's saying, That doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter because I love you and I am going to make you worthy. I am going to invite you into a relationship with me and bear your curse so that you might be my beloved daughter. So all of it, the glory of women, the glory of God creating us to be beautiful and relational and to bring life into the world, and the curse, the ways that we hide, the ways that we escape, the ways that we manipulate and control, all of it is displaying to the world the invitational heart of God. And in no place do we see that more clearly than on the cross. So my last point is not only does Jesus redeem the curse, but he actually restores femininity. So I have three points here. And these three points are really specific to women in the room. And for guys, I would say Zach is going to have some really practical things for you in his masculinity talk. But I, I think just a really practical note for guys here is talk to the girls who are from your campus who are in this talk. Ask them if this feels like it's true for them. Ask them what hit them. Just ask them questions. Because um, 
in doing that, you're already going to be helping the girls in your life see that there is something about them that's worth being in relationship with. And so that's my practical for the guy. It's just um, ask a girl what she thought about this talk. So the first, the first way that we're called now to respond is we're, respond, we're, we're called to repent of our sinful strategies to overcome the curse. So this first one is going to feel kind of weird, but we're called to face and embrace that loneliness and longing is just part of our experience here on earth. So again, if you're a woman, no relationship in this world is going to satisfy you. The crazy thing is that if you're single, you think that once you start dating, then you're going to be satisfied. And then once you start dating, you think once you, get, once you get engaged, that's when you'll be satisfied. And then once you get engaged, you think once you get married, then you'll be satisfied. And what you actually find is that once you reach each one of those levels, your desires just deepen. It's like the bottom falls out. And all of a sudden now you have like 20 bazillion more desires you didn't even know existed. So you will never reach a point in your life that you feel totally satisfied in all your relationships. And that's just going to be part of your experience here on the earth. And there's, I think, actually a dignity in saying, okay, and facing it and embracing it and recognizing that it's not always going to be this way, that one day you will be satisfied when you're in heaven. But here on earth, we're called to face and embrace the loneliness and longing are part of our nature. We're called to be broken over the ways that we've tried to escape our loneliness. So this means being sad over our idols, like escaping, controlling, hiding. It means confessing them to other people in your life, asking for accountability and fighting those things. And the last thing is that we're called to choose love in the face of loneliness. And so the call to women is you're still called to invite other people into relationship with you. You're still called to let people know you, even when you don't feel like there's anything in you worth seeing. In the midst of the fear of rejection, you're, you're called to cling to the truth that God sees you and loves you, and that empowers you then to move towards other people in relationship. It gives you the freedom to move towards other women and not care what they think. It calls you to move towards other men and not care what you think because you know there's something in me that is good that other people need to see. So the second way we respond is we strive for holy femininity by the power of the spirit within us. So this is from 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And similar to Genesis, when I first read this, I was kind of like, God, I don't like this. Because again, the, the gentle and quiet spirit kind of conjures up this image of like this docile housewife who like doesn't really do anything. Um, but if you actually look at the Greek, which is super helpful, I commend that to you all. It's been very helpful. Um, the word actually means it's you're at rest. It means that it's free from disturbance. And it's a word that could be used to describe like a surface of water that's not being shaken or stirred. And if I think about being a woman, I'm like, that never describes my existence. <laughs> I could never be described as a calm surface of water. There's always, I mean, like, I mean, I feel like in some ways that's what it means to be a woman is that there's always like 10 billion things going on inside of your heart and you don't know what to do about any of it. Um, but what it means when you're resting in your identity in Christ is that you can be at rest. Um, because what you're doing now is you're called to pursue what God finds beautiful. So you're no longer striving to create external beauty, but rather your external beauty is an overflow of the beauty of the inner person that God is working in you. 
So it's not wrong to braid your hair. It's not wrong to wear jewelry. Proverbs 31 talks about um, one of the things she does is she, like, makes her own clothing, and it's really beautiful and purple, I think. So it's God loves that, that you would make yourself beautiful. But if you're making yourself beautiful because you think that's what's going to draw people, that is what's wrong because that's, that's not true. But if your beauty is an overflow of, of your confidence that God has made your inner person beautiful, that's what will give you rest. Another point of this is that femininity, this side of heaven, is not passive, or it's, and it's not simply waiting either. And um, I could get on a bit of a soapbox here, but there's just been some teaching lately that makes it sound like femininity is always a damsel in distress. Like you're this like untouchable princess in a high tower that a man has to come and rescue. And um, one thing I think is so cool is that the church is called a woman. So in the Bible, the church is feminine. And if you think about the calling given to the church in this world, the church is called, yes, to wait for Christ, but we're not supposed to be passive in our waiting. We're not just supposed to sit around and do nothing. The church is called to move into the world with the light of Christ and expand the kingdom of God. And as a woman, that's the calling on your life too. You're not supposed to be passive. You're not supposed to just wait around. Um, I read a book when I was little called Until, no, what was it called? Wait Until Prince Charming or something like that? Until Prince Charming comes? Yeah. (laughs) Horrible book. Would not recommend it to any of you. Um, Because I think the calling on women is not that you're called to wait for Prince Charming. The calling is move into the world because you have a beauty and you have a life that the world needs to see. God wants to use you to expand his kingdom in the world. And so, but you can't do that until you know that your beauty comes from him. Um, I'm kind of lost where I'm in my notes, but I'm just going to keep talking. So I don't know how this m- connects. But um, one thing that I think I really like about this definition of femininity is that it's primarily about your heart, which means that it can manifest itself in a ton of ways. So if you read Proverbs 31, which I'm, I don't have time to read right now, but I would recommend that you go through and read it. It's not a description of one woman. It's not saying, hey, if you're a godly woman, you need to be able to do all of these different things. What it's actually saying is, Look at all of the ways that you can express femininity. And it's super cool. If you go through and read it, it's like one of the descriptions is that she makes her arms strong. And so it's like you can be feminine and be really, really strong. And another description is that she makes her own clothing. So it's like you could be really feminine and make your own clothing. You can, she like buys and sells real estate. She's up early. She stays up late. Like she does so many things. And I think what's happening in Proverbs 31 is saying, look at all of the ways that you can express this. So um, I have a video of my sisters that hopefully will work, and I'm really excited to show it. But Amen. before I show it, um, the reason why I wanted to show it is because my sisters could not be more opposite of each other. So Sadie is 10, Lizzie is 12, and Sadie is like your quintessential tomboy. She loves all things football. She gets mistaken for a guy literally all the time. <laughs> um, and then Lizzie is like the quintessential girly girl. She like loves hair and makeup. She has really long, beautiful hair. Um, But the thing is, is that I don't think one of them is more feminine than the other. Because what I've been saying, what I truly believe, is that femininity is so much more about your heart and your relationship with others than it is about what that's expressing externally. So um, I asked my sisters a couple questions, and I didn't coach them on anything. um, But I think their answers are really profound. So I want to show that to you, and then I'll wrap up this talk. I'm Lizzie. Uh, I think she should be. I'm Lizzie, and I'm like 12 years old. Sadie and I'm nine years old. It doesn't look Sadie. She dresses. She's a girl, but she dresses like a boy. 
like it doesn't matter. Like she's not like exactly dressing like a boy, but like I just you know, she like wears jerseys, I don't she wears shorts, she never wears dresses. And I'm like kind of the opposite, but that doesn't make me more of a girl than Sadie, because she's also a girl. Like I wear dresses, uh, like we're the complete opposite. But like, and like I think it changed that I'm more of a girl than her. There's things where we have like we both like football, but I mean, if you like something a boy likes, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. This girl, cause she is always voting to go first for stuff like jumping off a cliff. I'll go first. Dude, what, what, what? I'll ask. She always does stuff for us, and she's very helpful. Mm. And Sadie's brave. Wait, I thought brave was bully. Okay, never mind. Sadie's not brave. <coughs> Thank kinda, you. You know, Thank just you. yell at her. She's not brave. I'm not brave. Yeah. Um. I also like how, like, she just gets back up. Like, <coughs> Levi and, like, joke around in here in, like, soccer and, like, high school thing or whatever. Because you guys are kind of feisty and whatever. But she just doesn't get up. Sometimes you, like, <coughs> but you're not always fine. Like, you just get back up and play. And you're like, it's a game. I get back up or I fake cry. <laughs> and she's good at fake crying. Too, oh, right? I am so, can I cry right now? Yeah. Um, she then proceeds to fake cry, and I have a video of it. So if you want to see, <laughs> I can show it to you after this. Um, okay, but I love that video because I think it just it really illustrates what I hope you take away from this talk, that femininity is so much more about the heart than it is about these external things. And I love when they answer their favorite things about each other because um, it's so true. And, and what Sadie said about Lizzie is that she's brave. She's the first one to do something scary. And what Lizzie says about Sadie is that she's resilient. She like she always gets back up. And and that's what makes them feminine. The fact that they use those things to draw other people into relationship with them. And, and that shows the world what God is like. So I really, really love that video and love my sisters. So then my very last point is um, and this is so this is the final thing under how do we respond, is to remember that Christ is coming back for his bride. And when Christ comes, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. So every, every rejection that you faced, every time you've finally worked up the courage to talk to a guy and nothing happens, every time you text someone and he doesn't respond, when you post a picture on Instagram and he doesn't like it, every way that you've invited someone into a relationship with you, every time you've moved towards a group of girls and they have rejected you, any time you've been made to feel like you weren't good enough, you weren't beautiful enough, you weren't funny enough, all of those things, all of those tears, one day really will be wiped away from your eyes. And you will at last see the face of the person who loves you more than any single person on this planet. You will be fully, you will know fully as you have already been fully known. And your deepest desire for a relationship will finally be fulfilled. And I want to end with this verse. This is from Revelation 21. And what's so crazy is that when when God decided how to reveal to us what heaven is going to be like, he chose a wedding day. He chose this imagery of a bride coming down. So this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so loneliness and and relational disappointment is a part of our existence here because of the curse. But the day is coming where that will no longer be a part of your existence. You will enter a relationship with God in, in its completion. You will never have a want. You will never be needy ever again. And until that day comes, you're called to embrace your identity as a beloved daughter of God. And you're called to move into relationships with other people. Because when you do that, you're showing the world what God is like. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll, we'll close. If you want to go to the last slide, that has my email on it. Um, so you can shoot me an email if you would like to get my notes or the slides. Um, and also, please feel free to come up and chat with me after this. We don't have any other seminars. I think we're free now. So, um, yeah, if you have questions or clarifiers, please come up and talk to me. I'd love to meet you. So, yeah, so I'll pray. Um, Heavenly Father, the stories that you write are um, incredible. They're things that we never would have expected. And, God, when I, when I think about the women in this room, when I think about the stories of pain, the stories of abuse and rejection and loneliness, um, my heart um, would break if I heard the stories, and, and I, yours does. Thank you that every tear that has been cried, you have counted in a bottle. Every night of tossing, you have kept track of. God, I pray that you would be a God of comfort to the women in this room who right now feel like they're in a season of rejection and loneliness and pain. And God, I pray that each woman in this room would see more clearly that that you love her, that they would see the price you are willing to pay in order to adopt her in as your daughter. And God, would you help us? We need your help to embrace our identity as your daughters and to move into the world. It, It can be scary and hard to invite people into relation with us. And so, God, I pray that, um, that even this week at conference, there would be ways that women would feel more free, that there would be ways that women would feel more free to invite other women into knowing them, that there would be ways that the women in this room would feel more free to invite men into relation with them. I pray especially that women would feel more free to invite you into their lives, that, that there would be sin you would uncover, that there would be lies that you would expose. God, I pray for more freedom and flourishing for the women in this room. And God, thank you for the men in this room. Thank you for the men who who want to learn more about what it means to be a woman. And God, I pray that even um, even if a lot of us didn't maybe feel like it applied to them, I pray that men would, would be excited to engage with women, to, to ask them questions, to move towards them in friendship, um, and to ask them what, it, what it's like to be a woman. And so, God, I, I pray that you would be over us, that you would provide um, more connections, more health, more flourishing, between us. We need your help. So I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.